Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSB Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. We are very excited today as we have a very special guest. Today we have Tony Sofoyan. President and CEO of Sada Systems. Now, Sada Systems is one of Google's best global cloud partners today. And when we would get into our podcast today, we'll ask Tony a lot of questions. One, we'll talk about the history of the company, what made him choose Google, how did he get focused? And then on a personal note, we'll get to ask him a little bit more about his family, how he got the business started, and what was it like growing the organization to the point where they decided to hire outside executive leaders to help excel the company to where it's at today. And along the way, we're also talking about some great announcements. And I'm hoping that Tony can give us some insights on some of the things that is taking place and shaping up today. As we get started, we also wanna say, from time to time, when I'm speaking or my brother is speaking, we'll make sure to say, this is Danny or this is David, because in the podcast, we do come across and it sound alike. <laughs> if you can't remember who says what, listen to the words, and then you'll realize it's Danny speaking because I'm more eloquent than my twin brother. <laughs> That's a good Tony, one. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, David, Danny. Thanks so much for having me. We've been talking about doing this for, for weeks, and we got it on the books. I'm excited. It's a Friday. I feel good. So happy to be with you today. Well, Tony, we're thrilled to have you. This is David. Let me first of all say it is a pleasure to have you here, an honor to be able to share some thoughts with you. Thank you for taking some time to share with our audience as well. Sada has been recognized by Google as partner year, I believe a couple of times. It's an honor yeah. that you've had here and you wanna take some time to really deep, do a deep dive maybe in talking about your partnership with Google and why did you decide to stay with Google and sell off the part of the business that really was in line with Microsoft? That's a deep question. You know, we have a 21 year history. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how long certain things take to, to get to or to achieve. And, you know, when we started the business in year 2000, there was no Google cloud. There was no Google enterprise. I mean, Google was barely born, right? It was a baby, but Microsoft was there. And that was like the technology stack of choice for, for small business. You know, it was, uh, you know, sort of the novel switching to Microsoft networking era. Um, high speed internet was coming on board and it was like Windows machines and Microsoft had like, you know, 95% market share. Windows servers were coming together. So that's that's what we learned. And we learned .NET and we learned how to make, you know, websites, web applications on the Microsoft stack. So that's near and dear to our heart. And in fact, we saw the whole transition from the Bill um, Gates era to the Balmer era and so on, and even the Satin Nadella era. So just amazing respect for, um, for that ecosystem. You know, I think 
Uh, we're all standing on the shoulders of the work that they did, that Oracle did, all these sort of uh, IBM, traditional enterprise uh, vendors, software makers, hardware makers, Cisco, that, that, that created this whole industry, right? We were standing on their shoulders. And, you know, Bill Gates, of course, amazing. Ballmer, I wasn't a huge fan of <laughs> uh, for all sorts of reasons, but he's a great owner of a basketball team. I got to give him that. <laughs> Makes me almost want to be a Clipper fan. You know, I can't do it because I'm a Laker fan, but oh, I almost want to be a Clipper fan because of Ballmer. Uh, he's such a good owner. But then, man, Satya Nadell, the last few years, I got to meet him, interact with him a couple of times because we were winning awards on the Microsoft side too. That man is one of the one of the greatest of all time as far as like a tech leader. And he's just so thoughtful, so smart. He seems like he floats on water, so wise. You know, he has, he has a child that's special needs. I mean, he writes about that. It's just amazing, amazing uh, person uh, and so smart. And you see what happened to Microsoft and their stock, you know, since he took over, right? It's no, no joke. But, um, you know, so uh, we did run into the Google opportunity in 2006 because we were just trying to see what would stick. We were trying all sorts of things. We were uh, doing basic break fix uh, stuff. We were developing some early websites. Uh, famously, we, put, we, we, we created Joe Cocker's first website, Cocker.com. Uh, rest in peace, Joe Cocker. But my, my dad has some connections in the entertainment industry. So we had some opportunities to do great work there. And the first thing we did, even prior to 2006, that made us fall in love with the concept of recurring revenue and the concept of incentive alignment with customers was we thought back in 2002, 2003, that like break fix in the world of IT services literally was itself broken. Like that concept of not maintaining things and then waiting for like a virus infection or waiting for a hard drive crash or waiting like, and then go, go fix it. Like that seemed ridiculous for us and the customer. The customer was like, oh, great. I'm going to be down. And then you're going to give me a big bill when I'm in my worst, my business is down and I need to call you and, you, and then you're going to give me a big fat bill. And then for us, we're like, I wonder where the next, you know, check is going to come from. You know, it was like this totally terrible business model. So we started doing what is now widely accepted as, as managed services, but we're like, Hey, what if all these networks we're helping with these small businesses, we just charge them a flat fee. I remember our first contract was $318 a month. It was three computers and a server. We're like, we'll, we'll take care of everything for $318 a month. We'll visit once a month and in person, we'll do all this, whatever. And then that was so novel in LA at the time. We signed up like 20, 25 customers immediately. And that was like, oh my God, we have reliable income. We have customers who are now we're partners with. We care about their uptime. They want, they want uptime. If, if they have good uptime, everybody wins, all that stuff. So that was the first thing that took off. But then, you know, as, as uh, we were just learning, we were open to everything. We looked at IP telephony, if that was something we wanted to get into. And we sold like Asterix a couple of times, uh, Asterix phone systems. We looked at application development, web development, design, all sorts of stuff. And then we just ran into this Google thing. At the time, Google's really starting to be known as like the top brand. It was coming up on the Forbes list. Um, it started to become a verb. And then I was like, wait, Google has an enterprise thing that they're trying to do, like for businesses? Because everybody like had, you know, Google.com search. That's all we knew. And I was like, look, nothing bad is going to happen for us to just get to know what this is. And that moment where we, we, we called Google and we're like, we want to be a partner for this. 
they were like, oh, like, we don't have any partners. Uh, we have like one. Okay, let's, you know, let's do a program, right? So that moment, though, changed the trajectory of the company forever. But it also was the beginning of us running two parallel and firewalled businesses really from 2009, 2019, we ran a business that had two completely separated sales organizations, completely different delivery organizations and so on. Um, and that was just a long journey of being early in the concept of cloud with both. Um, because right after cloud search, right after enterprise search, Google told us that they were launching Google apps for your domain. And they wanted us to be a launch partner. And we got that. We're like, oh, my God, this is what we're trying to figure out how to scale. We were trying to do it ourselves, like put Exchange into Colo, deliver it with Citrix. Like, dude, that's hard. Like, Google's going to do this. We just have to sell it. Like, that's way easier than trying to build up our own, you know, data center. It's crazy. It's expensive. We don't know how to do this. And so when Microsoft started getting into, like, Vpods, we're like, okay, that's what, okay, Microsoft's trying to do this too. So let's do both. And again, for a decade, it went, it was going, you know, well, it was complicated managing both. They really competed heavily in the market. They still do, of course. And even though a lot of bigger companies got away with, you know, offering everything, selling everything for some reason, probably because of how visible we were with, with the leadership at both companies, we were always under the microscope. They were always like, oh, you can't. Whenever we said something good about Microsoft, Google would get mad. Whenever we said something good about Google, Microsoft would get mad. We're like, ah, how long can we sustain this? And then eventually we're like, look, we have an opportunity to go big. Azure was taken off. GCP was taken off. Those, those addressable markets are so much bigger than anything else we've ever seen. And thanks to AWS for creating that market. Um, we got to just choose one and go all in. And uh, we just chose the company uh, for us that we was actually getting bigger. The business was getting bigger on the Google side. Our customers were larger. We we're getting pulled up market. And frankly, we were huge fans of the technology. We saw every customer that was making the Google choice. Everybody who bought Google deployed it. And everybody who deployed Google changed. And that was very different than anything else we'd ever seen. This is Danny. That's fantastic, Tony. There's, there's so much nuggets of wisdom there that you're talking about. Uh, there's a lot of organizations that are running multi-cloud. They're, they're setting up multiple clouds, trying to figure out, okay, which direction are we gonna go? AWS, Google, Microsoft. And what you decided to do is take a step back and looked at it from a customer perspective. You see the customers who tried it, they ran it, they deployed it, they loved it. And you also stated that they were building out what it would be too expensive for you to do on your own. And, and it just seemed to me that as you're playing your hand of poker, it just seemed like the cards are all lining up. And, and it was really tough because at the table you had Microsoft, Google, they're, they're looking at you like, hey, we're, we're calling your bluff, which direction you're gonna go? And yeah. you finally made the decision go all in. But at yeah. the same time, you brought up something very unique. And coming from this, a similar background as you have uh, with the VAR and the MSP side of the house, you, you were very interested when you said, look, we went from a break fix into the so-called managed services terminology. And I think in one of your previous podcasts, um, you, credit, you, you gave yourself credit to being able to be to say, I'm the founder of possibly this terminology. And, Not and the I terminology, but the concept. The, the concept. concept, that's correct. 
And, yes, and I, I don't true. know. Nobody can disprove it, Danny. Yeah. I'm just saying I could have invented it in 2001, 2002. Somebody go back and check the records. I think exactly. I exactly. But but the the insight I'd get from that is that the the journey's always evolving. And as an organization, you have to evolve in order to keep pace with it. And you guys have always found the way to uh, improvise and innovate and keep up with everything. When I think about an MSP today, what keeps an MSP from really growing and, and scaling is that that individual CEO sometimes cannot let go. They have to do everything. They have to touch every single technology there is. And they have a very difficult time letting go you were able to say, look, we're not gonna deploy, we're not gonna do all this stuff, build out our own data center, that, that's just not us. We're just gonna focus on one thing and one thing only, and it actually worked out very well for you. And so for the audience that's listening today, for our MSP owners and business leaders, think about where you're at today. I always tell you, productize, verticalize, specialize, and outsource the rest. Yeah. That's gonna help you be more efficient, help you scale quickly. And another thing you guys have done really well, you scaled in Canada. And you're, yeah. you're hiring so fast that you can't even keep up with the hiring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that we is love, quite amazing. I love that market so much. And not only because my wife's Canadian or I got family there or whatever, but uh, I love the people. But man, the talent pool, my God, it's incredible. And yeah, I love, and by the way, to be successful in Canada, one of the things that I was told early on and I figured out is like, dude, we're not the 51st state of america yep. <laughs> right they're like everybody in america is like we're gonna come to canada and be like you're just another state dude no like respect the fact that it's its own country yep. with its own culture own currency own holidays by the way that's quebec which is like its own thing within yep. you know that uh great greater canada francophile i gotta figure that out francophone um i should say and you know yeah we, we respected that fact we put a country leader in place we hired a bunch of canadians we hired a canadian recruitment firm a canadian law firm tax like do it do it all by the book yeah exactly this is danny by the way um so my previous company i ran global sales for a canadian company and i would tell you you have to have locals in the country running it it is a different animal it's a different beast you can't treat it the same as you do in north america even in north america with the different regions there's different selling cycles, selling motions. I say this all oh, the time. Yeah, exactly. Time. Yeah, you can't be like, hey, I'm going to cover Texas out of Chicago. My Chicago team is going to sell in Dallas. Yeah, good good luck. Not gonna, <laughs> good luck with that. It's like, but going back to your other point, Danny, it's like what is very, very difficult to do over time when you're growing a business uh, is – saying no to no to things choosing what not to do requires the most amount of discipline especially in our space because there's new stuff coming out Every all day. the time Every that you day. feel like you're freaking missing out on there's like this fomo around this is fomo around that again all clouds multi-cloud this oh service now that's hot right now rpa oh i gotta get into rpa let me start i'm gonna learn ui path and automation anywhere because like people are making money doing that it's like dude, dude, there's tons of ways to do it right Mm -hmm. but the one way to do it wrong is try to do everything <laughs> so what are you going to be great at what can you be great at what can you be the best in the world at choose that and all those markets are individually so big that if you distinguish yourself in any one of them you can get really really big and really big really successful um 
it's just hard. It's just hard. Shiny objects. We like them. We're, we're geeks anyway. We're techies. We like new things. And some of the, 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 the best things you can do is just like stay boring and like, just be like, I'm going to do this boring thing. It's exciting in its own way, but it's repetitive. It's okay. You do, you do that thing for, for a very long period of time and just evolve in a way that makes sense for you, that it supports your natural abilities, that supports your install base of customers, all of that. And you'll do great as long as you keep listening to your customers. Like yes. managed services is great because it's in the customer's favor. Yes. Right? It helps the customer. Uh, cloud is good for the customer. It's better security. It's more predictable. It's more nimble. Like just, you know, don't sell stuff. Don't go to market with stuff that's not good for customers. That's always going to fail. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Yeah, this is Danny. I totally agree with you on that, Tony. It is one of the things where if you listen to the customer, you understand the customer, they're going to say, you get me. And when they say you get me, yeah, they're, gonna, they're going to give you all of their IT services because yep. the last thing they want to do is work with a firm that doesn't understand their vertical, does not understand their space, don't understand their terminology, all of that. You're absolutely correct. Uh, one of the things that you and your organization have, have done when we talk about the multi-cloud is you guys assign a great relationship. Tell us a little bit more about Google Anthos, about this mm-hmm. build once, run anywhere. And, and, I, and I bring this up because there are advantages to having your data on multiple cloud platforms. Yeah, yeah or, or hybrid some on-premise. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. Look, just because we're all in with Google, it doesn't mean that we deny that mm-hmm. the, the world is round. You know, yes, the earth is round, meaning it is a multi-cloud world. And right. by the way, mm-hmm. hybrid will be around for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And it should be. Right. There's all these cases where the on-premise makes sense. Um, and so what we also love and appreciate is Google's standards-based approach to the multi-cloud world. Meaning, you know, they wrote the book on Kubernetes, just like they did on TensorFlow and a bunch of other things. Right. 
and then released it to the world. Then other people started doing it, which is exactly what they want because they want to support the future of computing that has an open you know, perspective. And then of course, Microsoft eventually follows and you know, Amazon follows, whatever. Uh, so their view is as long as you build your applications to run containerized in Kubernetes, you should be able to run them anywhere. Yep. What that does is again, what's best for the customer? The customer then can run it wherever is the best performing and cheapest. Sometimes it's on-premise, sometimes it's here, sometimes it's there, they can move it around, right? That's that's the whole idea. And you know, others are getting into like Azure Arc and maybe Amazon is like the most anti-multi-cloud organization ever. And you know, it's typical for market leaders to be like, we're the only solution. They don't want a multi-cloud world, they don't want a hybrid world. Uh, but, and it's very interesting that Google's the one who came up with this sort of Anthos concept first, because of course they're number three and they're the most open source oriented, right? So of course it's a natural birthplace of where, where something like Anthos would be born, right? So we're seeing tons of traction there. Google's figured out how to price it correctly uh, now. And again, just like managed services was, just like open standards was, just like Linux kind of won in the data center eventually, it's like, what's best for customers? Mm -hmm. What's best for customers is to, if you run Anthos, you can run your applications anywhere. Yeah. And, and multi-cloud makes sense for all organizations eventually. And this is what I mean. If you're a digital native startup, smaller, you should probably just build on one. Because yep. <clears throat> it's just, it's faster. It's whatever. You can get a better deal. You're not trying to think about what, what just pick one and go, right? That's, we see that. You get to like Snapchat size and even Snapchat like gets to so big that the board is like, dude, why you can't run on one? That's risky. And then you have to diversify. For uh, traditional enterprises, if you started, you probably started on Microsoft back in the days. If you've already started, you probably started on AWS. But you need a number two. <laughs> you can't be a traditional enterprise and be like, I do all my cloud on Azure. You, can't, you need a number two, not only for uh, technical superiority in certain capabilities but really for commercial uh leverage <laughs> you know you need that other you need them the two providers kind of fighting for the for the business and eventually your engineers and your business decision makers will gravitate towards the one that's providing the most value and this is the easiest to use etc what i feel great about is today versus five years ago three years ago uh gcp is always in the running if somebody's evaluating we're always we're we're always we're invited to the to the game we're invited to the fight we're in the rfp we're duking it out three years ago we weren't even invited right that's true yeah. it's like uh, it's like it was, it was like uh, on-premise versus aws aws versus azure it was like that was the game uh what the other thing i feel great about is if you're building something from scratch today and the engineers are making the decision they're going to pick gcp nine out of ten times it's just better. Tony, this is David. I, I'm like the little kid that's annoying the big brother when you guys are having conversations, you know, because you're both the tech side of the house. I'm the let's have fun, take over the world business side of the house. But I was a marketing and an international business major. So it really resonated with me when you talked about the importance of bringing in locals or nationals to help build those aspects of your company. Let me ask you this, when it comes to where we've been in the last year or so with this health pandemic, 
Mm. What have you seen, not only at SADA, but within some of these larger firms, what's shifted, what's changed, and what can companies do now to take advantage of this ride? Because not all companies have struggled or failed. There've been companies that have actually had an opportunity to thrive. So can you share a little bit more about what you've been doing at SADA to take advantage of this time and what companies can still do today to shift to this new, what we call sense of normal? It's almost uh, exactly the one year anniversary when we're recording this of uh, this thing being considered a pandemic. And let's just take a moment to, to realize the, the human health crisis and the human cost of 2.6 million people globally and 560,000 Americans dying arguably maybe unnecessarily from this. So let's just acknowledge that it's a very sad day. Um, but then I want to kind of move forward because I'm like move forward kind of person like what, what we can do now. There has been a silver lining. The reality is there has been a silver lining and uh, the transition to work from home and serve your customers where they are those parallel um, threads have uh, compressed five to 10 years of digital transformation into like a much shorter period of time, one year, two years. That's true. And it's meant cultural shifts. It's also meant huge leaps forward technologically. And for, for companies uh, that are kind of in the, you know, um, information worker type of employees, uh, we've proven that, A, we can be arguably more productive from home some of the time. And we've proven that we can hire the best talent anywhere that they live. That is a huge thing for people, individuals. Like, oh, I don't have to move to uh, San Francisco to get this job. I can stay in Wichita, Kansas and stay with my family and be in this affordable house and all of that and make a great, yeah, you can now. That's holy shit. That didn't exist before. A year ago, nobody would have been like, no, you got to move. And by the way, I got to pay you three times as more maybe because of the market correction like that exists in New York or San Francisco, right? Uh, so that's a huge opportunity. Talk about um, diversity and inclusion. Like let's talk about diversity of talent and inclusion of talent. I don't care what small town you live in, what part of the world you live in, I can hire you now because I trust that you can be productive. I was not willing to, unless I was GitLab or a few of these companies that were all remote all the time, I wasn't willing to try that. But now I've been forced and guess what? It worked. Mm -hmm. If I had the right tools like SaaS solutions, if I had the right network, which the companies that didn't were forced to, to, to deploy, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is... Um, well, that's three. The second thing is what I alluded to, which is the, the customers we had that had already moved to Google Workspace or some other online way of connecting and collaborating, like their uh, go work from home experience was completely different than the traditional desktop, VPN, like phone lines. Like they were like, that was, the, that was a mess. If you were stuck in that, like you didn't have cloud services, you had a VPN that was built for 10% of your employee staff. Like you were not productive for a couple months. Right. Yep. Um, but now, I mean, it accelerated adoption of collaboration tools and all these other, that's why all the SaaS companies took off like huge. Right. The other transformation that occurred is in 
the acceleration of traditional enterprises, the smart ones, the savvy ones, the ready ones, but even the ones that weren't ready, but have, you know, been around for a long time, they have a cushion or they're going to get a bailout, whatever. The reality is they had this digital transformation plan somewhere buried in their priority list. All of a sudden it was like, oh my God, if we don't know how to service our customers at home or wherever they are or e-commerce or whatever, we are not ready for any, for anything. We are not ready to support the way our customers want to buy from us, how they want to procure services from us. And I think that transformation we've seen by huge rise of e-commerce, not just Amazon stock, but talk about Shopify, like all the platforms that enable all the small businesses to start an e-commerce thing, you know, and Stripe and all the payment platforms, but delivery, you know, uh, routing and delivery, uh, DoorDash, Postmates, uh, restaurants, some restaurants, did better in the pandemic and before the pandemic. A lot did not because they weren't, didn't figure out how to like get you a, a meal that's tasty and delicious at home. <laughs> but the ones that did, like Jones on 3rd and CEO City, their frozen pizzas <laughs> are as good as like getting at the restaurant and they're crushing it right now. So yes. unfortunately, there's significant fallout. You drive on Ventura Boulevard here or wherever you live, or lease clothes my old dry cleaner is not there anymore all the stuff and there's going to be casualties of a huge evolutionary step it's like a meteor hitting earth and the dinosaurs perishing right but for those who survive there's an op there's a clear opportunity to thrive and fortunately for all of us all of this is enabled by the technologies that your var customers provide and we provide in the, in, the, in, the, in the form of cloud services. This is Danny, by the way. I love that analogy, Tony. You're absolutely correct. During this time, all the technology and all the advances, as you said, was really ramped up really quickly in a, in a very, very finite amount of time. And we saw a lot of the business take off, as you said, Amazon and, and um, Shopify and everything else. But even some of the smaller organizations, smaller businesses have been able to survive and take off because they decided to embrace the yes. technology, embrace the cloud, embrace e-commerce, change their business model, be more focused on the customer, knowing that their ideal customer, their ICP, I like to call it ideal client profile, they're at home now. How can you market yes. and make things easier for them? And they were you able to change failed. their business. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of people who failed that like, look, dry cleaners, yeah. I, I don't know how to sit, help dry cleaners. Like nobody's wearing shirts. I don't know what to do. And maybe you didn't have nine months of savings like most people and businesses yeah. don't. So, but I'll tell you, uh, restaurants, other services, nails, hair, whatever. There was a huge population that were like frozen like deer in headlights, yeah. were sad, uh, angry, paralyzed, waiting for Governor Newsom to tell him what to do. Yep. Or, or Eric Garcetti or whoever, right? And then the other ones are like, look, I got to take my destiny to my own hands. All this stuff exists. I don't need to build a, an application that does delivery routing to, del like, I can just use DoorDash. I don't have to, I can use a booking software. I can do this like, I'm not going to wait 
any, I can't control the pandemic. I can't control the local laws. But if I'm tech savvy, I know what's out there and I can take this opportunity to transform my business. It's unfortunate for the ones that couldn't make the leap. And me and I have to talk about this because we're all empathetic people. We're sad for a lot of small business owners. But there's a distinct case of some people are like victim mentality. Others are like, let's go. It's sad, but you know what? Uh, women will pay $500 to get their hair done at home right now, <laughs> as yeah. opposed to $150 in the salon. I'm going to figure out, you know, I'm going to go there, right? So that's the difference. And it's unfortunate, but that's the mentality required in this day and age. Yes. We've got to stay ready for anything. You're absolutely right. This is Danny, by the way. I, I love that analogy. One, typically, my twin brother and I, even though we're in two different industries, we, we're traveling quite a lot. We go to a lot of conferences, a lot of events. My twin brother, because he has a public speaking training company, is usually at road shows, events, speaking or training the speakers on how to speak better. Uh, because I'm a managed service provider training organization, I coach and train MSPs. I'm also a cloud SaaS distributor. I'm always going to the channel conferences and always going to these events with other uh, OEMs to pitch and talk to MSPs. We've had to both get creative. And during this time, it actually helped our business being working from home. We'd had to get creative on how to get in front of people, how to maintain their happiness and excitement. Even though we can't see them face to face, how can we make sure that they stay engaged? And you gave great examples or how like people were home at this moment. Even my wife was telling me, hey, look, I need to get my hair done. And, and willing to go online and book. I'll pay anything. Using to, to I'll pay help. anything. Yeah. Exactly. And like, honey, you're, you're paying twice as much. But the way she looks in her mind is that, look, I don't have to travel. I don't have to sit and wait for my turn. Uh, I don't have to worry about my, the stylist being overly booked or going over 15, 20 minutes late for me to sit for my appointment. I can stay home and work on my business. And then somebody can show and, and do oh, the work. Grocery delivery. Absolutely. All those things that, by the way, people refuse to try telemedicine they refuse to try it what do you mean i gotta go in person and then they're like my wife was like uh i she's a lawyer she's a lawyer by training where she's like anti-technology in a lot of ways she's like i gotta go smell the strawberries and then she used doordash or not doordash but like postmates or or, or instacart whatever she's like this is great. I should. I'm like. I've been telling you for six years. Like, you don't have to do your own shopping. No, and I should have done point, this years I, ago. <laughs> here's the thing: the businesses who made those investments and capabilities and built, they have to understand. We're not. We're never going to go back 100 percent to the other side. People have built new habits. New habits. Employers mm -hmm. have built new methodologies. Hiring remote. That's mm -hmm. going to stay with us forever now. Agreed. Like the restaurant that, oh, now we can have seating here. You're, they're not going to stop ordering from you to deliver at home. That's going to keep going. Like re recognize that. But I want to go back to, to what you we were saying about David's company. There's a bunch of public speakers I love and I follow and I'm friends with. Chris Shembra, uh, who does the gratitude dinners. Uh, uh, David J.P. Phillips. Obviously, Simon Sinek and his org and all that. Uh, uh, Val, Val Wright. These authors, these speakers, David, some of these people, again, they had like a couple, few months of panic. They've never been busier. They've never made more money. They've never given as many talks. They've never sold as many books, even though they're like not on the road anymore. Right. And who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Tony, this is David. I appreciate you sharing that aspect. And as Dan and I were talking earlier, we looked at this pandemic as an opportunity to try to figure out how can we refine our niches? How mm -hmm. can we refocus our energy? 
And so the aspect of being all things for all people, no, it doesn't work. You got to figure out that one niche. And so what about those companies? You talked about your wife taking her time to figure out the market experience, going out there, feeling if the strawberries, if they're firm, do they smell right? Can she get a sample of it? Now she's realizing that there's incredible quality, incredible opportunities to be able to do it at home. What about those companies that are having a hard time thinking about transitioning to the cloud? Uh, we're talking about some of these smaller, mid-sized companies. What about those owners, those business leaders that just can't quite click in their mind? It's time to think differently. How do you suppose yeah. we're able to reach those platforms, those people without saying, hey, you're either gonna die and crash and burn, or you're gonna have to get along with the plan. What can yeah. we do to help those companies to not start to now see these trends and get along with it? There's a company we're introduced to in the East Coast. I, got, I don't wanna be specific. Old school, been around forever, family business that the CEO had just retired a couple, you know, couple of years back. They were in the grocery distribution business. The pandemic mm. hit, they lost a billion dollars because they couldn't, mm. They couldn't provide the demand. They couldn't serve the demand of a lot of more groceries needing to be distributed. They're sitting on mainframes. They asked for a hundred. Dude, they fired all the executives. The old chairman came back trying to fix everything now. They'll survive, but like how sad is that, right? And look, taking that down to you know mid-market SMB, unfortunately, in our culture and society, we're very um uh overreactive i think in a lot of ways um and i think most importantly we go back to status quo way too fast when things start to get better right we're like if we're good from crisis to crisis like we know like come together right but like when crisis subside we we're like we believe that crisis can never happen again right and my thing and i wrote about this on linkedin in sort of a post i was like this is the year of be ready for anything I'm serious. Let's not mess around. you got to be ready for anything. You don't know when the next anything of anything is going to happen. Nobody would have predicted this. It's literally the definition of a black swan event. So what do you do? Since you can't predict, we don't have a, you know, a crystal ball. We got to, we got to just be like, got to be ready for anything. Yeah. Right. So not only Fiscally responsible, be ready for anything, but technology, infrastructure, leadership, process, everything in place so that no matter what happens, we can respond. And if this isn't teaching those other businesses that they must take this moment as an opportunity to make those investments, then, dude, unfortunately, the market's just going to take care of itself and, and they may not be able to survive like the next transformation. And part of this is you know, it's capitalistic Darwinism. It's just going to happen. But I don't want to be on that side. I want to be on the thriving side. Every crisis does provide an opportunity. Yeah. If you're seeing, you know, seeing straight and have the right resources, partners, advisors, you know, consultants, um, employees, etc., around you. So if you're not going to do it now, I don't know, when are you going to do it? May not do it at all. You might not go anywhere. Uh, Tony, this is David. And um, I want to ask a little, I want to take it a different direction here because you mentioned how even at SADA, you guys have made some adjustments to finding the best talent, regardless of where they are. Yeah, yeah. The health pandemic really exposed 
so much in different organizations about either their stubbornness or their flexibility. Mm-hmm. There was another wave that hit us, especially here in the United States, and that's really of the what we call cultural awareness and understanding yes. that we've got to have diverse workforce workplaces and we've got to have an understanding of what we call equity and inclusion. Well, let's talk about SOD a little bit. You've really championed diversifying your own organization. Uh, what are some things that you've seen as a result of what I call this awakening or this awareness? And how can we continue this sense of pushing out the diversity inclusion initiatives that go just beyond, I hit a check mark, right, in a box? Look, uh, being an immigrant ourselves, I was nine years old, you know, I, you know, coming in, not speaking the language, not knowing the culture. Um, I'm not, you know, uh, completely like foreign to being discriminated against or being judged or being pigeonholed or, or having a relatively small worldview, you know, even though, again, from our culture and where we came from, the Soviet Union, like, okay, yeah, my parents were educated and like, we didn't really have suffer from poverty. Everybody was equally poor, but it wasn't like we, we, we had, you know, means and we, we, were, we had education, access, it was free, right? So, 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 so definitely privilege. And my, the color of my skin is, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty white. Actually, we come from the Caucasus. <laughs> so when they say Caucasian, they mean yeah. that part of the world in Armenia, technically. Um, so, so we had those advantages, but still like that was a, a, a very um, impactful period because, uh, you know, uh, the, the immigrant, um, the struggle is, is it shares some similarities with the, just knowing what it is to be, uh, to feel small, to not understand, like be discriminated against all that stuff. Right. Um, and just have a limiting mindset around what's possible. So I, I've always empathized with all minorities in America. <laughs> I always have. I felt like a minority. I don't even call myself white. I know I'm white, but I feel like I'm like, I'm Armenian. I'm an immigrant. I'm not really like white, like meaning I'm not multi-generational Caucasian, you know, American. Um, so that's on a, on a personal side. Um, and by the way, uh, Hassan Minaj, who's a hilarious comedian. Love him. Um, he, he talks about how all, all, all Indian immigrants love hip hop. I'm like, I get it now. I'm always attra- like uh, attracted to hip hop and that culture and that what they talk about coming from nothing and all this stuff. Exactly. Like maybe that's why I always love hip hop because I'm an Armenian immigrant. Um, and then um, anyway, so I can go more into that, that connection. But, uh, but here's the thing, like I grew up around extremely strong and, and capable women all, my whole life, right? And I grew up um, not ignorant of, of racial issues, but also with that belief like we shouldn't talk about it. If we ignore it, like that's the solution, treat everybody the same, you know, that kind of stuff. What I've learned over the last three, four, five years is um, equality and opportunity, whether it's for women, um, for, for minorities, for people that come from different, uh, geographic, you know, situations or, um, residential situations or different parts of the country or different parts of the street or different parts of the block, whatever. I, I used to believe that, um, 
diversity and inclusion is inevitable. Yeah. It just happens naturally. I didn't understand that there's actually artificial barriers that keep it from happening. Some of it is system, systemic, um, institutional, federal, housing, um, social construct, what you see on TV, conscious, subconscious, these things exist that prevent the inevitable from happening, which is like the cream rises to the top. Of course, it's natural, right? Natural order things. No. And growing up again around strong women, I'm like, they're the, they're the rule, not the exception. Okay. Lo and behold, if you go far back enough, you're like, actually with my grandfather who created a mindset in these women, because he only had girls that they could do anything that they all got <laughs> educated and they all became badasses and they're all bred. Like it was like environmental. Right. Um, my wife's a badass. I'm like, Oh, of course, women, all women can do this. Right. Uh, what I've learned is that it is, uh, not inevitable. It's intentional. Yeah. Loved it. Yes. Driving, driving, uh, equality and opportunity through intention is it, over a long period of time can make a huge impact. It's very hard to say we're, we're driving towards equality of outcomes. That's very hard and probably maybe will never be possible, but can we at least strive for equality of opportunity, which also taught me the difference between diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Diversity without inclusion, equal voice, equal place at the table, equal opportunity to uh, get promoted, that kind of stuff. That's just tokenism, man. If you just want to be like, oh, we're so diverse, but, uh, you know, the brown guy at the table never talks. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get my voice, yeah. <laughs> or the woman, yeah. Oh, I have a, you know, my number two is a female, but I always, I'm the only one talking, you know. Uh, that's not, that's not, that doesn't work well either. And, and, and admittedly, I was like, again, I believed in inevitability and I believed in you generally ignore it, right? But again, unfortunately, it did take George Floyd, and now we're dealing with another crisis with the American, uh, Asian American, you know, Pacific Islander community. Yeah. And they're different uh, in terms of their culture in that they just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. They've kept their mouth shut for decades. Yeah. So the problem is so much bigger than what we're actually even aware of. It took a shooting in Atlanta yeah. to kind of wake everybody, be like, oh, damn. Oh, this rhetoric we've been hearing, like this, you know, anti-Asian, anti-this, anti-Chinese rhetoric. Just like, you know, after 9-11, like Sikh Indians were being targeted, right? Like this, this reaction, this overreaction, uneducated, like this. But the last four years of like intense, divisive rhetoric results in this stuff. So, you know, if there's like uh, 3,000 or 4,000 cases being reported, of discrimination or acts against Asian, that's actually more like 400,000. Yeah, yeah. Because they just don't report it. They have this mentality. They've had it for generations and decades in this country of like, don't make waves. That's the Asian way, whatever, right? So um, so there's work to do. And, and, and what I've realized, and, and unfortunately it took, you know, George Floyd and other tragic incidents to, to make it uh, acceptable, not only acceptable, but necessary for us to, as, as leaders in business, to be vocal about it, to say things that are hard to say, to say things that 
might argue you five years ago, like, Tony, you have no, no right to even comment on this stuff, dude. You're Caucasian. You can't talk. Like, like, who are you, you know, to like, actually, I don't care if that some people think that I'm, I'm, this is how I feel. And at the same time, I can bring my whole self to work, whatever LGBTQ, uh, widowed, only child, mom, dad, never married, whatever, like black, Mexican, whatever. I'm bringing my whole self to work. I am both a CEO and an Armenian immigrant. I'm not, I can't just, I'm just, I'm not just a C, like I'm not an Armenian immigrant when I'm the CEO of SADA. Yeah, no, yeah, you are. It's okay. <laughs> you can be both, right? Yeah. Um, but what makes this sustainable is we have data now. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots of data. And uh, Franz Johansson, who wrote uh, the Medici effect, and he runs a group called the Medici group. He's studied this for 20 years. He's had data. Now more people have data. And this is what's required actually in this uh, economic system to make long lasting changes. Like we can prove the more diverse you are as an organization, the more successful you're going to be. We can prove that you're a better place to work. We can prove the data will show you're more creative, more resilient. You're gonna grow faster. Um, Your culture's better. That's what it's gonna take. That's what it's gonna take. I agree. I got Dan. Let me let me just throw this out. I got to say, Tony, I love how you said we've got to be intentional. Yes. And it's encouraging to be able to see that we're getting more light to this. But the fact that we're adding data to it, and we're able to say, look, research has shown you're much more productive as a company, much more profitable as an organization if you truly embrace voices and ideas that, frankly, is different than your own. And you can't just give that seat at the table to a minority and call them the chief diversity, equity, inclusion officer. Yeah, and not I'm, give I'm, the yeah. CEO. I'm one black woman at SADA and, oh, guess what she's in charge of? No, <laughs> that's what they that's what they used to have, these big corporations. Uh, Karen Blackwood, a good friend yeah. of mine in L.A., she was probably the only executive at Nestle oh, gosh. 15 years ago because they needed a token Chief inclusion, diversity, vendor diversity. No, no, I'm talking about every role. And by the way, we work in tech and public speaking, whatever. That's Danny Moore. This is more of a tech comment. I can't get enough engineers, period. Okay. You want me to be like, oh, I can make a place that is uncomfortable for women to work at or Indian people to work at or black people to work at or Latinos to work at. No way. I need every single person I can get. Yeah. (laughs) I got to be, well, you got to be like, welcome, be yourself, feel safe, be home, no matter who you are, because I can't even get enough engineers, period, right? Let alone the the other additional benefits of diversity, but you're trying to start a company where like women don't like to work there. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck, buddy. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. 
Thank you for checking out the DSB Leadership Speaking Podcast. If you are enjoying the program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash twins talk it up. Also, consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple and comment on our other platforms, including YouTube. If you'd like to learn more and get more information, we would like you to become a guest on our future episode. Send us a message via our website at www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. This is Danny, by the way. I love all this because one of the things, uh, I've been following you for quite a while, Tony, as well as Status Systems. And I will tell you that I see two things stand out very clearly. The culture of your organization is very strong. I I see you consistently uh, just lifting up your employees. Always saying how grateful you are for them, calling them out by their name, specifically stating what you appreciate about that individual. And and it's not like a token slogan. You're calling them out specifically what you're saying. Something I know about them, for sure. Exactly. And then the second thing I always see is is your, your own employees taking the initiative and talking about how much they enjoy working for the organization as well. And when you see those two work together, that's when you know it's not a PR stunt. It's not yep. the organization telling you, hey, go on social media and say nice things about us. It's just It just comes across very natural, a lot different than the cookie cutter approaches that you see typically. All right, I, this is all I do. I work with MSPs all day long. Even looking at their website, you look at it and say, look, we don't want any more giddy images. Customers want to buy from you. Yeah, yeah. Put yourself out there. Let them know who you are, what you're about, and what your causes are. They're going to buy you. They're not going to buy a technology. They can buy technology all day long. But yeah, it has to be genuine. It has exactly. to be genuine. has to be authentic at the end of the day. People are smart, man. It's not even smart. It's like spidey. It's like we just know. We have, we're tuned into authenticity. We can tell the difference pretty easily. And the best way to convey that is to actually feel it, to to deeply appreciate your, your actually appreciate your employees, you know, to have a mission like my, my number, I have three things that I obsess over. There's there's like a hundred things that we have to do right outside of, but three things I truly like, it's my job. Mm -hmm. If we don't do these three things, we are effed. Like, let's just Mm -hmm. close shop. One people experience. It's always number one. There's a reason for that. People experience is one. Then we talk about growth. We have to crush growth and we have to win market share. Those three things. People are first. I say that. I mean it. I operate like that. I work with the people ops organization all the time. They've matured and grown. Again, the pandemic has gotten, has made us much better at onboarding, much better at interviewing, much better at culture, much better at communication, much better at transparency. We've gotten better at, we've, we've been, you know, people ops has driven so much of that, but it comes from the top. Yeah. People are my first priority. Because again, um, I'm not, you know, it's not all altruism. If I'm the best place to work and people love their job, my customers are going to feel that. Exactly. We're going to sell more stuff. We're going to deliver better. We're going to grow. And yep. everybody's going to be happy. Like, and by the way, I, as a CEO, that's my choice. Like I can make the kind of company that I want to work at. Yep. Exactly. That's, that's my what choice. Cynic says, right? You got to invest in your people. They will take care of your customers. You yep. have to take care of your people. Yeah, definitely. Tony, yeah. this is this is David. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm still going back to your word intentional. 
you said something about really as the CEO, you're driving this change from the top down. We can't yep. just let these organizations and companies think that the quote unquote culture will change and people will feel better if you just speak to the managers, you just speak to the entry level people. No, it's got to be a fundamental shift from the thinking top down. So right. got to ask you this question. It's interesting because I have a child in college. I've got one that's getting ready to graduate high school. So I'm getting ready to be an empty nester. And so we see Google kind of riding a different kind of a wave now. I was reading recently that Google is pushing forth these courses, they're putting forth these different certifications as a way to say, you don't necessarily have to go to college in order to get interested yeah. in technology and have a job. What are your thoughts on companies like Google saying, let's just change the whole educational landscape instead of our kids coming out of college with $150,000, $200,000 of the debt, let's get them aligned to what their passion is and get them working right away within this workforce. What are some of your thoughts that you have on not just the shift towards more cloud-based uh, organizations, but really the shift towards thinking about how we bring the right type of talent into our companies? Look, unfortunately, this country has gotten three things very, very wrong. And part of it is, I mean, it's driven purely by, I think, you know, ex extreme capitalism, I would call it. It's not even real capitalism. It's, uh, but it's, it's, the, it's the absolute pursuit of the dollar over everything else that has led to a housing crisis, a healthcare crisis, and an education crisis concurrently. Mm. We spent the last 30 years tearing apart what we used to be the best in the world at, yeah. frankly, in those three areas. And now we're not, we're like not even top 10, top 50 in like things like infant mortality rate, you know, like healthcare is a fucking disaster. <laughs> you can believe that out if you want. Exactly. Housing is a disaster. Education system is a disaster, is yeah. a complete disaster. And it's a shame. And, uh, you know, if you if you wonder why you get, you know, huge you millions of people to vote on legislation that's against their best interests. Well, if you spend two generations creating uneducated people. Yeah, you can get them to vote against a minimum wage increase when they're making eight dollars an hour. You can you can achieve that, you know, if you want. Right. And so through I remember we had customers that were like these private trade schools and you know arts institute who's no longer here and all these other ones that were like created only to generate like student loans from the government <laughs> that was the only reason they were created i mean there's no that was the business model the business model was not educate kids the business model was like get loans from the government yeah and then legislation made it so it's the only kind of debt that's not forgivable in case of a bankruptcy. Yeah. At least with healthcare debt, you can file bankruptcy. You know, just terrible. But student debt doesn't get forgiven in bankruptcy. Like, holy shit. So one one point seven trillion dollars. So, and then all and concurrently, and if you look at Germany you know, and Canada and other systems, look, sixteen, seventeen, you choose. I'm going to go to trade school, engineer, mechanic, plumber whatever electrician uh finish in four years work as an apprentice but make 50 60 70 80 dollars an hour <laughs> repairing caterpillars whatever right or i'm going to go to college okay culturally we're like ah, everybody has to go to college okay 
Mm-hmm. But like, go to college, do what? Like, get an art history degree? Yep. And then what? Like, I love the liberal arts and they're important, right? But unless you're going to be some sort of a creative information worker or some other thing or, or, or a doctor or an, an architect or some other, you know, chemical engineer, whatever, like that high cost research institution track, there doesn't, the ROI doesn't make sense. It doesn't quite compute. Uh, and I say that with, I, I have a deep appreciation for liberal arts and the arts in general. I was a philosophy major, et cetera. But if I didn't believe that my philosophy degree was going to go get me a job. Yes. Right. I knew that it had to be something else. So, and I've seen the whole, I've been working closely with Google since 2006. I've seen even five years ago, Google have a culture that they would only hire from top 40 schools. That was not that long ago. Not just like college, I'm talking about top 40, okay? Uh, There's a great article around that time where like Apple was crushing it. And it's like, oh, the most common graduate, you know, or degree from a, you know, a Google employee was like Stanford. The most common degree from Apple was like San Jose State or something like that, right? And Apple is crushing it. Um, and then imagine this, even in enterprise software, Danny, you know our space, you know enterprise software sales. They were trying to hire enterprise software sailors, sellers that went to like Duke and Cornell. And of course they were terrible. I mean, no offense to those schools, but like <laughs> you're not putting out the best enterprise software sellers in the world. It's the dude they got to see exactly. in algebra. Okay. Like that's the guy probably may, may have not gone to college. Right. And you know, with Udemy and all these other uh, schools and coding coming on board and, since they opened it up, I think uh, they're, they're talking about leading from the top, Google, Apple, Netflix, Spotify, any of those places. Engineering particularly is something you can grade and measure completely divorced from somebody's formal education track and can the concurrent spike in demand. All the universities combined were not putting, putting out enough engineers. No. By far, but not even one tenth of the engineers that that we needed in in America and Canada. So it's completely changed the landscape. It's completely changed the landscape to the to the better, right? And I'm still a big fan of formal education, but to somehow mm. convey that it's the only path, or that it's wise for everyone to go to school in their prime youth years and graduate with a social ecology degree and $160,000 debt. Yeah, there's most, a lot of people can do something else with that time and with that money. Exactly. This is Danny, by the way. I, I, when I grew up, my twin brother and I, we actually went to college together for undergraduate. I got a dual degree, engineering and physics. And then I went to get the my combined MBA and computer science degree, running my own company now and, and having a, a background in the data center space and the cloud computing space. I can tell you, I probably use less than 5% or, or anything of my, my degrees. <laughs> so but one of the good things about this career that the, the new technology is teaching people, if you're an expert and you specialize in what you do, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter anything. Degree, even if you have a degree, it doesn't really matter. It, what matters is you 
and what you are really good at. Yeah, that's, that's what really matters. Um, as we start to close out, I want to make sure that our audience knows a couple of things before we close out. One, I would like you to share a little bit more about uh, your wisdom, Tony, and and what it was like taking a your a break fix organization to at this moment being on track to be at a billion dollar organization, being on track to to filing for your IPO, and having such an amazing growth. Because I want to tell all the managed service providers out there, all the small businesses out there, that if you have a dream and you have a goal and you have a great foundation, you can also take yep. your company to a billion dollars. You had a great mother, graphic design background, did all your bookkeeping, a great father who had just great impeccable work ethic. Yeah, Even right. you went to a dot-com in that one time and you came over to help run the family business. Yep. You, you had a great foundation to help you get there. And I want to audience to understand that if you want to grow your business and you want to be successful, you have to have a great foundation and you have to be willing to take a chance to, what I say, take a risk on, on a specific solution, a specific technology, become an expert at that so that not only do you find these opportunities, that organization and the people around the community will bring you up as well. So Tony, please help our audience understand a couple more philosophical points about your thought process, your thinking, and how you were able to take SATA to the next label. Uh, hiring the best people you can. In the beginning, you can't always get the best people. You get bigger, though, you can. But whoever you get, you make sure you, you make it the best place for them to work, right? Like where, whatever level. That's critical. I wish I would have known that earlier, you know. Um, finding something where you feel like you're driving unique value and not doing everything and then avoiding all the distractions and then just doing that thing and slightly like improving it 1% a day over an extended period of time has exponential impact. Just don't forget that. And, and just patience, you know, people, it's human nature. We overestimate what's possible in one year. We always underestimate what's possible in 10. That's just human nature. It's how we're wired anthropologically you know, everything looks like an overnight success from the outside, trust me, but don't, don't, don't go through this, like get lost on Twitter and be like, Oh, FOMO shit. Oh man, fuck this. I'm buying Bitcoin. Like, that's the thing. It's like, no, like just focus, <laughs> focus on what you do. Right. And don't try to be all things to all people and do it for a very long period of time. I had a bunch of advantages. Of course, my parents being that foundation at rock paying for my education, right. All that stuff. Um, but you know, just there's a bunch of things that if I'd known about focus, about people, about um, the confidence, right, to, to do things, I would have, you know, maybe could have even done this stuff sooner. But a lot of it has to do with with timing and patience. We're patient for, for a very, very long period of time. Um, and when you get to a point where you're making money, some money, a lot of our competitors made this mistake, man. They didn't reinvest. They didn't then go hire the best people. They didn't then go buy the best infrastructure, the best systems. They didn't put a board together. They didn't do those things. And now they're gone. So the moment you see some success, like don't go buy houses and boats and watches. You can do that stuff later, right? Invest. Hire the best people. Put the money back into the business. Most yes. bars messed that up. They get stuck at $5 million, $10 million, 50 people, 25 people. Why? Because every like they make a little money finally and I get it. It's like, yes, I've been like hand to mouth for 10 years, not making money. Like they just go spend it, <laughs> like, yeah. put it back in, get better people. 
They do. Hire better people. Get an exec, get a COO, get a CTO, get a lawyer in house, get all like do it in house, you know, hire the best people. Um, most people make that mistake. And, you know, look, I don't, I put IPO out there as sort of like aspirational, what I feel like is the hardest thing to do operating by the highest standards. I don't know if that's what it is, but I also believe in you're always trying to build a forever company. And that's what makes that reinvestment mentality core to how we think is we're trying to build a forever company. Yes. IPO is one path, but if we're ready for that, we're ready for anything. We're just really clean operationally. We're closing the books in five days. You know, we have good uh, FP&A like ability to project cash flows and manage our treasury and all that, like be like operationally sound and make the right investments. We'll be ready. You know, we might be ready for that. Right. But yeah, it's taken 21 years and there's been down years here and there, but overall the growth has been very consistent because we love focusing on recurring revenue and we love obsessing over our customers, mm -hmm. hiring the best people, aligning with an ecosystem that you believe in, that you passionately believe in. I can't sell something I don't believe. I like, I actually believe the Google shit's the best shit. I just believe it. It's, and it comes out and everybody who works here believes it too. Yep. Um, and that's it. Just takes a long time, but stay focused. And it's, and, and it's grind. It is a grind, especially in the beginning. Even yep. now, I might be working out in the morning and I just get a thought. I'm like, sure, I got to write this down, right? And, I, and until I send that email, like I can't think. I'm just obsessed with um, not messing this up, not, not, not ruining this opportunity. I'm obsessed part, with it. That's probably where you get most of your, um, your, your great ideas is when you're on your Peloton bike. Peloton, shower, it's always yeah, places where, you know. Yeah, get all the energy. Uh, so everybody in the audience, I am so grateful to have Tony uh, Safoyan today from Sata Systems on our podcast. Awesome. It is amazing to be able to hear his success story, his organization, making sure that you focus on your people, making sure you build up the right culture. You focus on making sure that you drive the DNI, the diversity, the equity, inclusion, getting everybody involved, making sure that everybody, not only do they have a seat at the table, but they're comfortable and engaging and also giving out their thoughts and their passion and their ideas because it's, it's together how they're able to grow that company. So if you're an MSP out there today and you're telling yourself, how can I get my company to that specific size? Make sure you stay focused. Make sure you stay verticalized, specialized in something you believe in and you take it one step at a time. Make sure every day you take that additional step. I mean, we've had whole all of 2020 to work on self-improvement. We have had all 2020 to make ourselves better, to add to our knowledge, to add to our learning. Don't let 2021, even though it's getting to that time of the year and you're saying, hey, we look like we can go outside. The pandemic's getting a little bit better. No, don't stop. Focus on self-improvement. Focus on self-learning. Focus on your values. Focus on your why and make it better. Tony, we are grateful. David and I are so grateful to have you on board. We look forward to growing with you as your company grows. Continue to follow up on you. Continue to hear great news, great stories from you. Thank and you, you know that on LinkedIn, I'm going to be a champion of your business and your cause. And I'll continue to comment and like on the things that you do because I believe in the things that you do. Yeah. Thank you Likewise. for joining us. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I think we created about 150 really good 30-second clips. I think so. I think so, Tony. I'm gonna, chop it up. I'm gonna chop it up and just like put 30 seconds at a time. Well, thank you for coming on, Tony. And I'm thrilled. And uh, we are honored to have you here. And 
like Dan said, I do want to see us grow with you as you continue to really push that envelope, not just for what SADA Systems is going to become, but really what for all these organizations need a model. And uh, I'm hopeful that we're going to see more and more awareness, more and more growth and opportunities, and more what I see victories from these smaller to mid-sized companies that will follow your tail. So Tony, thank you again. Hey, a rising tide lifts all boats, gentlemen. You know that. That's what we're here for. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.